0: Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Shattered Lives. Now it's been a busy couple of days, a busy week and a half I would say. Uh, I had a couple of days off um, and kind of left Mick and the rest of everybody else to it and uh, in the process of it all uh, that G-Sock story really blew up didn't it? But uh, we have quite a lot to discuss even outside of that so without further ado I have to introduce our crime correspondent Michael O'Toole. Hello Michael.
1: Hello, Chief Reporter Paul (laughs) Healy.
0: Very important. All right, not for the in. Call me a bollocks. I much prefer that. Hello to the bollocks. Um, So I think just one of the first things that I would like to discuss, because we didn't really have a proper opportunity to discuss it last week, uh, was the GRA conference. Uh, This is the annual conference uh, of of the Garda Representative Association, a massive organisation that represents guards up and down the country, Rank and File Gardaí. And I attended it last week. It's a huge uh, three day conference in Westport, there in County Mayo. Uh, And it was a particularly controversial uh, uh, headline grabbing conference, I would say, uh, because of this ongoing row, this roster's row uh, in on Garda Shiakana. We spoke about this on one of our previous pods, but effectively, Garda across the country are, are very annoyed and upset about this uh, uh, potential return to a very unsociable working hours and difficult working hours. Um, that's summing it up quite, uh, probably a little bit too uh, much, but effectively this row between Garda management and rankin File has been spilling over and um, things came to a head with the Garda Commissioner last week, didn't it Mick?
1: Yes. and. I, I, you were at it, so, and I wasn't, but I was watching it well, I was watching it from a distance about that. I'm going next year. But anyway, um, I, I thought it was really interesting. I remember, I think it was around 2011, 2012, uh, Alan, Alan Shatter, Fine was the then Justice Minister, and it was the AGSI conference, which is the Association of Garda Sergeants and Inspectors. And three delegates effectively staged the walkout. And it was big news at the time. I think they were they were, were from down the country. I remember it. It was it was, it was big news. That you know they, they they you know they faced repercussions about that. And it was very big news at the time. And I remember they were they were you know they were spoken to by a very senior officer in Garda headquarters. And I thought that was pretty heavy. But I was stunned, and I'm, I'm not I'm not overusing that word. I was stunned when I heard that. Uh, Guard Commissioner Drew House, when he, when he was giving this speech to delegates from all around the country, he was booed.
0: Yes, uh, he effectively was jeered at, and um, that was in relation to a comment that he made uh, about making compromises in relation to this rosters row, this discussion that's been going on. He said he said that he had already made compromises, but he can't be the only one to make compromises, and that provoked a reaction within the room. Uh, now, in fairness, uh, tempers were were, were measured uh, shortly after that. Um, you know, the G R A president Brendan O'Connor did calm the room. Um, and did remind people that uh, the Garda Commissioner was a guest and in the end of the day he was entitled to speak but you can really sense you could sense in the room uh, you know just the level of I suppose anger and resentment over this issue at this stage with management uh, within on Garda um, and also there was just a general feeling of annoyance over some of the comments that the Garda Commissioner made even to the media um, you know one of the issues that was being raised to us uh, by the GRA was that their uh, that many other members are under such pressure and are going through all kinds of manners of, of of serious incidents um that some of them are suffering from ptsd um and when the guard commissioner was asked about that uh, he was a little bit dismissive of it and even even made a comment to the effect of i'm not sure that i would describe it as ptsd well that provoked a massive reaction among members because they felt this is another example of of uh, someone at a, a senior level who is just completely out of touch with what's going on on the ground so there's a huge dichotomy there between management and, and members on the ground. And you could really feel that frustration there last week.
1: And it just struck me, Paul. It had to be, I thought it was pretty seismic that a commissioner would be booed like that. I, I really couldn't believe it when it first happened. But for me, that's an indicator that people are a breaking point. Because the guards, and they'll always tell you this, the guards are a disciplined organisation. Disciplined is one of their main core points. It's really important yes. that a superintendent directs an inspector who directs a sergeant who directs a guard. It's disciplined. You have to do as you're ordered. So it's 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 in their DNA, shall we say, that you show respect to your, especially the number one, as he's called in the guards. So what must have been the feeling within those members who were part of the delegates for them to catcall and boo the commissioner? I, I You know, that's pretty serious i think that it shows you how bad yeah. morale is
0: and that was the theme of uh, the entire conference was breaking point yes they used those words they did feel that the force is a breaking point i think that came across as well in your interview mick with Lori young you know i mean she walked out of the guards and and i did have uh, a number of members uh, speak to me about that interview that you conducted and felt uh, they felt the same way and they know many people that feel the same way uh, within the force that it, they're they're just at breaking point and they feel uh, like, the, the, I mean, what, there's a number of, uh, I think the number is 500, Garrity, might be expected to walk out by the end of this year. Am I correct mm-hmm. on that figure? Yeah, you're right. Um, so,
1: so it's extraordinary. Just to, so just to explain, it, the, the, the people leaving can do one of two, well, they can do three things. They can be sacked, they can resign, or they can retire. You have to retire mm-hmm. at 60 unless you get an extension. But last year there were 109 resignations so people quit in the force now in 2016 it was about 25 and it has gone up incrementally but last year was the first time because I, I always put an FOI in first thing I do in January put an FOI in for resignations so I did it the year before last and I, it was nudging 100 but this time it was 109 so it, it's over 100 and I think we're well on the way to be higher this year. So the 500 figure is based on resignations and also retirements. So you can't stop mm-hmm. retirements. People have to retire, sure. but you can stop, you can stop resignations. And when I did that interview with Laurie Young, I was really surprised by how, how much it took off, but also how the number of members contacted me privately and go, I'm in the same boat as her. If I could, mm-hmm. I would go. So mm-hmm. I, I'm very worried about this. I have to say, I think, mm-hmm. I think it's a major problem. And it's get going to get, uh, bigger. But there is, just what you were talking about, the commissioner perhaps feeling slightly removed from people on the ground. The commissioner didn't start in the Guards. He obviously started in the the, the RUC and now the PSNI and he worked his way up. But I'm always struck, just speaking genuinely, about people who reach rank within the Guards. And Guards will always say this about, you know, unlike the Defence Forces where officers become cadets and they're not privates, they're cadets and they get commissioned. In the guards, everybody starts off as a guard or what you and I or what the lads would call a mule. So you're a mule, you're on the regular or you get into specialist units, you're a guard. A 5'8 it used to be called, right? But everybody who's a superintendent largely, apart from people brought in from outside, started off as a guard. And I was amazed by how quickly people who do reach rank forget what it was like to be in the front line and be a guard. And I, I think a lot of people are frustrated about
0: that. Yeah, oh, you can really sense that. Um, and I think this is an issue that's going to go on and on. I think perhaps we should speak to, to Brendan O'Connor in the coming days. He'd be an excellent guest uh, to speak on this issue. And we may well do that. <laughs> yeah.
1: but, but there is. Uh, it's remarkable when, you know, sometimes, Paul, when you're so close to a story, mm-hmm. things are passing. You know, like you, you were there, I'm sure you were, like everything. You We're, you were, we were always working our yin-yangs off because you have to file for online in the paper. And yeah. there's so many things to happen. But when I heard the commissioner talking about what was it my gang is bigger than your gang
0: yes uh, well
1: this is the elephant in the room okay and we're going to talk about it because we can't shy away from this our listeners wouldn't expect us to especially the guards what was the reaction down there when he said that
0: almost universal bafflement just everyone just was like i can't believe he said that uh to, to to make that uh comparison just to give people the context uh obviously we were speaking about the uh drew harris was speaking to the media about the hutch verdict not guilty verdict and uh uh, in a message to criminal gangs in general although obviously a direct message to the hutch organized crime group uh he said that that um, my gang is bigger than their gang um obviously a headline drawing comment i would say uh, not something he came up with on the spot. That's but but who knows? Maybe he did. Um, an extraordinary comment. I mean, obviously, straight away the reaction on the floor uh, among members was. Uh, it's just incredulous. I mean, people couldn't believe that he said it. But Brendan O'Connor, the uh, president of GRA, did throw those words back at the Garda Commissioner when it came to, um, you know, when it came to this this uh, roster's row and, and and being out of touch and that. He, d- he did finish his speech by saying, well, Commissioner, throw your own words back at you. You know, our gang is bigger than your gang. Um, But he has effectively, whether he intended to or not, he drew a very... Uh, obvious line between management and members. Or at least that's how they felt about it. Once he made that comment,
1: it, 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 yes, I, I'm going to be honest, and our listeners expect us to be honest. So I'm going to be honest about what people I've been speaking to. It went down like a lead balloon. I, I uh, yeah. and I'm talking. I'm not just talking about guards. I'm talking about people of various ranks. And one of the the refrains that I got was, "I'm not in a gang. I joined the guards to protect people. I'm not in a gang. Don't be saying I'm in a gang. No." One fella said, oh, it hasn't really been mentioned, to be fair. So I'm going to, he said that, right. But of the people I spoke to, some some of the comments were, I actually wrote them down, thought it was very childish. You know, I just thought there was no need for it. But also it was like, look, don't compare us to a gang. We're there to protect the people. We're not in a gang. I did not join the guards to be part of a gang. I joined the guards to protect people.
0: Well, many of them did feel yes. You're bringing it down to to, to their level. You're almost comparing yourself to criminals uh, and saying we're you know we're also a gang. Yeah. So I mean, there was a, a lot of resentment for that uh, particular remark.
1: No, but maybe that just may be the old adage about look, there are two uh, audiences here, and the audience the commissioner was speaking to was not members of the Garda It was the people in the outside. And you know, the one lad I spoke to, I spoke to, did say, look, to be fair, I can see where he's coming from. I can see exactly what his point was, but. You know, uh, I don't think uh, the view would be, it probably wasn't the the the, the 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 finest. It wasn't received in the best way by Guardi because their whole thing was, I'm not in a gang. And effectively, people are, I, I did see some commentary on Twitter, not the Twitter accounts, but people going, well, now they've confirmed you're in a gang. You know what I mean? So... People were very unhappy, but we have to to acknowledge that.
0: Yes, but also to be fair, to to give the other argument, you know, people do say things that they then immediately regret. And uh, I do recall that the commissioner, whether he joked or not, I do recall when he walked off, he did say something to the effect of, um, I shouldn't have said that. So I think he did acknowledge uh, or realise perhaps it was a foolish remark, even 30 seconds after saying it. (laughs) So...
1: I, I I think that's given me an idea for all my fuck ups on Twitter and stuff. That would be a very very not only a pod but a series <laughs> of pods because I, I certainly have I've certainly said a lot of stupid things in my time. But that's that's the beauty Should of be it. Okay, yes, ahead.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, uh, I mean, you you can speak about as much about this as I can, but just to. Uh To say, obviously, I took a couple of days off and uh, it uh, should really hit the fan.
1: (laughs) So, look, uh, let's do a recap. I'll do a recap. So you've got this great story about... Thank you. I I, I won't say that again because I'll I'll have to explode. But uh, (laughs) uh, Eventually, a former GSOC investigator who went then, I think it was on the Tuesday, the the acquittal for Jerry. No, no, no. Uh, he went in on the Tuesday and told people that he'd been a party Oh sorry yes the next
0: day yes yes you're right Yeah
1: so Jerry Hutch was uh, acquitted of the murder of David Burton on the Monday last Monday week there was a bit of a get together at a location in North Dublin we're not going to say where it was but it was uh, Mr Hutch attended it and various people from the neighbourhood or the area did and this man went in to GSOC where he was working as an investigator from outside the state and also again let's clarify GSOC are not Gardy, because a number of people who think GSOC are Gardy, but he said he'd be at a party and he reported and it, it hit the fan. Then he, re- he, re- he resigned before the, the story broke. But basically it became very, very, very big story. One of the reasons why the, the, the GSOC called in the Gardaí, the National Bureau of Criminal Investigation, who started a, an investigation. They spoke to this man voluntarily. Uh, the investigation started on the Monday, on Monday after the party. So a week after the party, your story was on the Friday. So on the Monday, the investigation started. They spoke to him, I think, on Monday evening, voluntarily, and then very, very quickly, Thursday morning, they knock knocking the door and they arrest him. Yes, and
0: and, and that and, was very quick, and and that's that's the development. Um, I suppose I underestimated the size of this. Really, I mean don't get me wrong, when I was told this information and lucky enough to break the story, I obviously knew that it was a big story and it, and it had uh, potentially seismic consequences. But I still felt uh, on the basis of the information that I had when it initially, and this, this goes to tell you how a story evolves. That's why I'm trying to explain it like this, because people might not necessarily understand that you don't have all the information from the get-go. And the information we had was he attended, uh, allegedly uh, t- said that he attended this party and um, the initial information was that I was a kind of an innocent explanation of I'm a neighbour and I got invited to a party and I, I fucked up and I, maybe I shouldn't have gone but I, that there's no conflict of interest and um, there was an internal investigation but he was supposedly cooperating with that. Um, but But once the guard... The guardee got involved and once it became a a, a investigation into whether there was criminal wrongdoing uh, it, it certainly escalated uh, and then uh, so i was at the gra conference when i heard uh, that the, that there was going to be a guard investigation after gsoc referred it to the guards and then not long after that uh, 24 hours later he's under arrest so that all happened while we were down at the gra so um he cooperated with the probe. I think initially there were fears, uh, because he is a foreign national and he was a police officer in a foreign country, there was a feeling that he would return to that jurisdiction. He had no need to cooperate with the probe. Uh, but he did, as you said, Mick, he voluntarily spoke to the guards and then but, he was arrested.
1: But but sorry, just to interrupt, we don't need to say actually. he's admitted it. He, he has it, it now did since. Happen. No, I'm yeah. explaining yes. that
0: when I initially broke the story, oh, yeah. he hadn't even... Acknowledged it hadn't even been acknowledged that he'd definitely gone to the party, it was only said that he had told somebody, yeah.
1: And that's important because your story was that he was there was an investigation after he yes. said he'd been at it, yes. So and that, that, yeah, but but he did, so we're grand. Um, but it just, it. I was just really stunned, I was really really interested about how quickly it developed. Now, oh, yeah, you cannot be arrested for going to a party. Right. So when I heard he was arrested, I went, holy shit, what's this all about? But then we brought it on. So it was under Section 81 of the Garda Shake On Act of tw- 2005. Now, Section 62 is what we normally focus on there. That's Garda are banned or not permitted to leak anything that will damage an investigation. There's no blanket ban on leaking. It's for leaking something that will ba- uh, 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 damage. And there's loads of caveats. Right. So there's not a blanket ban. But there's Section 81, which is for GSOC. So that man was arrested on suspicion of leaking, leaking information. information Yeah, that can cause damage. Now, and this is where it's significant because under that law, the prescription or the, the penalty is very strong. It's a fine of 75,000 euros and seven years in the clink. So that's very, very serious. So we know that the man has been released without charge. But there, it's fair to say there is a, a significant guard investigation underway.
0: Yeah, and I mean, that, that that's that's escalated quickly. I mean, obviously for them to be uh, investigating him under that uh, potential offence, it, it is obviously an allegation of much more than just attending a party. Um, And as we mentioned before, this officer, he was uh, investigating the death of uh, Detective Superintendent Colin Fox, who was the lead investigator in the Regency investigation. So even still a huge conflict of interest in that he's then attending the party uh, by the very man who was accused of that crime. Um, and and also on that, you know, just in attending the GRA myself, um, and this is perhaps something I didn't initially think of until we got down there, just, you know, how the guards feel about uh, a GSOC investigator uh, alleged being alleged to have... have um, committed wrongdoing there was a a sense of well who now we now know that there's a guard investigation but there was a sense of well who investigates the investigators you know because GSOC obviously investigate the guards but there's no accountability they felt for those investigators GSOC members and there was concern over that. And I was even told that there were members of Ungaric Siakana who had come to, uh, who had expressed concern to the GRA, that they themselves had actually been the subject of an investigation by this exact GSOC officer. And they now were expressing concern that this individual was looking into them and whatever the fallout of that was. And then here he is suspected of criminality himself. So there's a, there's a huge fallout to this.
1: But, you know, it, it, it is important to say they are legitimate concerns. Yes. I mean, we did one of the things we brought it on. This man has access to a system called PULSE. Most people will know what that is. That's the guard uh, uh, computer system. It contains intelligence. It contains loads of different facts. He had unfettered access to that. Now, you know, and he had access to if he was investigating guards, he had access to every detail about any guards. And he had the Regency
0: investigation file, the whole
1: thing. And, and and we know that he got the Regency investigation file and there were thousands of different documents including and look here's an elephant in the room right Jerry Hutch because he was, he's obviously charged with the murder of David Burns so he was what they call an SO a suspect offender. so his details it, it, there is absolutely no doubt Jerry Hutch's details including his address which is very important were on all the paper or on paperwork that this man got now, I know we're not saying where it happened, but I think it's fair to say it was in close proximity to where Jerry Hutch lives.
0: Yes, indeed it was. Um, Extreme close proximity. Yeah, and, and, and this individual, who's, uh, this GSOC investigator, was living on the same street. Yeah, so.
1: Yeah, so he would have seen, when you're listed as a suspect, your name, your date of birth. Not your age, your date of birth, and your address is listed. So he, you know, it's incomprehensible for me that he wouldn't have known that Jerry Hutch lived on that same street where he was living. So one of the questions that I have is, did he tell Jesok?
0: And we don't know. We don't know. Those those, those are out, outlying questions, Um we'll have to see where it goes. But I, I, I guess I underestimated, despite still knowing the size of the story, I underestimated just how big it would be and then how how much it has rolled over and the many questions that now need to be answered um yeah uh, we we'll, no doubt we'll still be talking about it <laughs> so.
1: Sp- speaking of questions I but had tip to our colleague Danny Duval because he it was the only journalist really and I was quite surprised because look I, I I I suggested to the news desk that's that we knew that the, we I had been at a guard station. Yeah, I'd been at a guard station on Thursday evening when he when he'd been arrested, and we were sitting outside. But he he was still in custody, so he didn't come out. It was way past deadline. So the next morning I was off, and I said, "Look, lads, you know this guy's out. As was He's was right for a doorstep." <laughs> now you were off as well. So Danny uh, got the short straw, and to be fair to Danny, he went up and he knocked, and then there was a remarkable, what's the word? Chase. Uh, drive. Well, Chase. Across <laughs> Dublin. From one part of Dublin to another. And they waited outside uh, an office for several hours. And the man finally came out. And he, and he, and he sort of, he did us a favour because we probably would have had to pixelate Yes. Because he's not been identified. But rather kindly. He, what the, was it a jumper he had over his head? It looks
0: to be a jumper or a jacket or something. He's got yeah, wrapped around himself, it. yeah.
1: So it was a slam dunk because we got the picture. And we did have to pixelate because he had his face covered. But we asked the questions. And I was just surprised that... Nobody else is bothered. But anyway, look, you know, we do what we and, do. And it was great to get him. It was. And
0: and here's another fallout from it now. I mean, there are now concerns for this man's safety. I believe he's moved out of the address that he was on in North Dublin. Um, and you know, legitimately so, uh, obviously because of alleged connections to the Hutch gang, there will be concerns over over his uh over his safety in that regard. And also, we we did report this, uh, although we have not named him he has been named in another jurisdiction in another publication. Uh, so his name is out there. So
1: Yeah, but uh, forgive me for being sceptical, but uh, who, who is p- potentially going to harm or threaten him? I, said, I mean, let's be realistic. Yeah. Well, I, well, I, I don't inform- think the gang is. No,
0: well, my, inf- my information was just, you know, simply that, I suppose precautions have to be taken in the because his name is out there and because of the alleged connection. Um, I, I I don't think he has been given any kind of gym form or anything of that formality, but certainly, obviously, he has concerns. uh, You know, in regards to his safety, given the fact, uh, also he's moved out of the location that he was residing in as a result of this. So it's a huge fallout to this. Still don't know where it's all going to go. Um, obviously, there's a guard investigation now, and there's been calls for a separate independent inquiry in relation to all of us as well and the minister for justice has expressed concerns uh other members of government so yeah it's just been a huge fallout to it shall we well, move anyway, on? Uh,
1: <laughs> yeah just fair play to fair play to danny Deval and colin keegan for getting the pictures out. yes i know it was last but the pictures are still up on the mirror website if you want to have a look they're really really great pictures and it's well worth the stake They tell on.
0: the story anyway what's next uh john Dowdall doubt all briefly uh kind of fed up talking about Hutch and Dowdall I'm sure people are also fed up but there are, you know it's a it's it's just a story that keeps on going and so the development that happened last week was that Patrick Dowdall uh Jonathan's father was released from prison he has served um a portion of his two-year sentence for facilitating the murder of David Byrne by booking that now famous hotel room for flat cap Kevin Murray. So he's out, he's a free man. I understand he is in protective custody. I don't believe that uh, either of them have been granted the uh, witness protection programme, but I I believe that the guards are... are, are monitoring his movements I know uh, in relation to since his release that's the father but Jonathan is still in prison and in Limerick prison um, but the information I got during the week was and in fairness it has been reported we, we have reported ourselves that they did intend to move Jonathan Dowdall his bags were packed um, but it's it, moving Jonathan Dowdall is extremely complicated I've been told because uh, where do you move a prisoner such as him uh, you can't put him in and even though Port Leash is the most maximum security prison in the country there is still concern that enemies of his are 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 in Port Leash prison he has enemies in Mount Joy enemies in Wheatfield so you can't put him in any of the traditional maximum security prisons um so there's talk now of placing Jonathan Dowdall in Arbor Hill prison uh which is typically reserved for sex offenders only at this stage it was it used to be um mixed but it, it, it is now effectively almost 100% sex offenders um, but I'm being told that the likelihood is that he will be moved there that it just makes the most sense and one of the main reasons why he's being moved has very little to do with him and more to do with this ongoing overcrowding crisis within the Irish prison system. And I'm told that the landing that he's currently on in Limerick Prison he has entirely to himself. Now it's a tiny corridor that I think can house up to between 10 and 12, but a dozen prisoners can be housed in it in total. And at the moment you've got no one other than Jonathan Dowdall on that landing. So I've been told, listen, Uh, we need to move him because we can't have an overcrowding crisis and have one person on an entire corridor. So they want to shift him out of there so they can fill this landing effectively. But it hasn't happened yet um, because they're still having talks about it. And it it may well end up that he's not moved to Arbor Hill. But at the moment, Arbor Hill has been selected as the most likely candidate.
1: So Patrick's out?
0: Patrick, the father, is out.
1: Yes. Now, I wouldn't I wouldn't go down the road of calling it uh, protective custody. We don't have that. He might be in a safe house somewhere or something.
0: Yes, yes. Sorry, he, he, yes. No, no,
1: you, you know what I mean? No, uh, that's interesting. But uh, and, and you know, look, journalism is is sometimes a, a very difficult art, and it's very difficult to get information. You'd be of the belief that neither of them at this stage has been admitted to the witness security program. That's my belief. Yes. So that'll be interesting. Um, I, I, a couple of pauses ago, I, I told you of my belief that it was unlikely that Jonathan would be entered. I did change my mind on that after speaking to various people. But it, it it's going to be, I, I, I just, I don't think certain guards are overly happy about Doll being admitted to the programme, but he'd probably have to. I think even as a duty of care, because you imagine if they didn't? And, you know, for various reasons, they didn't. And he's walking down the road and Somebody tries to shoot him and she's, you know, it'd be just be horrendous. So I think my view now is it, it's inevitable, grudgingly, but inevitable that yes, he will be admitted
0: but to. That may not have to happen or they may not have to deal with that until the end of his sentence. So at the moment, it's just about what prison do you keep him in? Then he's going to have his appeal. It has been pointed out to me that Arbor Hill would be very handy uh, in relation to his appeal because he can just be taken straight up the road to the CCJ and straight back to the prison. Um So, you know, but we'll have to revisit the witness protection thing. And I think even if that does happen, we might not ever definitively know necessarily. And it will be illegal for us to identify where he's gone or where he is or at all. That'll be it. Yeah, it'll be the last you ever hear of him.
1: Just before you move on, Paul, one one thing came to mind. You mentioned Limerick Prison. And while you were at the GRA, there was another story that we have covered about Limerick Prison. Barbie Kardashian, one of two transgender prisoners in the women's section of Limerick prison. I always made the mistake of saying Limerick women's prison. It's Limerick prison. There's a woman's section in Limerick prison. I had to change that with the subs at the last minute because I'd realised. Anyway, so we had been writing about concerns about uh, her presence in that court. And we had uh, in that uh, wing. And we had explained that she's in a special area. She is with uh, women. She's with other women there. She's with another transgender prisoner. That trans- other transgender prisoner doesn't cause any problems. And it's important to say that not a peep out of her can't be the same, cannot be said for uh, Barbie Kardashian. And there is an investigation into her. And the allegation is that last week she threatened to rape female prison officers in the prison. Now, she did get what's called, you would know about this, a P19, which is an internal disciplinary process. And I heard about that. And that normally, in a case like this where you, you, know, you threaten harm, like that, you'd be moved. But there's no really to move her. They can move her to the DOCUS, but I think they're intent on keeping her in Limerick. But I did make further inquiries and I did establish that the, the prison service has made a criminal complaint to the Garda of Shekhana. So they're now investigating this. So there's a criminal investigation into this. Now, she's in a lot of trouble. And... I was trying to figure out what the maximum penalty for threats to rape. I've I found people getting, you know, I think around eight years for threats to rape and kill, but I don't know necessarily about threats to rape. However, it's a it's an indictable offence, so you're probably talking at least five years for this. And there is a, an investigation under the way into this. But she is a massive problem. The other transgender prisoner isn't. There are natal women in the same landing as Barbie Kardashian and this other trans prisoner, but they are kept away from them barbara kardashian is locked up no other female prisoners go near it was explained to me that she's at the end of the corridor all the other prisoners go out their door and turn left or turn right and they don't go anywhere near but she's on the same landing as other women but she is a serious problem and you made a very valid point she'd be a serious problem wherever she was incarcerated
0: yeah well this is the problem is we discussed this previously like uh, you know i'm told she's under effectively a, what is a 21 hour lockdown 23 i think uh, no, I know it's not as much as that because she does get uh, time to go into the yard and into the gym, albeit on her own. Um, but she's a huge challenge. And I was told that even if in the event you moved her into a male facility, which they legally cannot do currently, uh, it would be the exact same conditions. Uh, could not mix with the prison population ever. That's the feeling because such is the danger. Uh, so, yeah, I, I mean, she's a real headache for so, the prison yeah. service.
1: And uh, without. Well, so like the other transgender prisoner not a problem but I, I do think I don't know if you've been told this but the sort of guidance I was given by people who would have a knowledge is it's most likely that I think they're building another block or wing a, another block in Limerick prison and it's a whole prison yeah so and she'll be sent there there'll be I think there'll be a dedicated area maybe for transgender prisoners but she is a problem
0: yeah they're 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 testing out the prison service are are, are modelling different uh means of dealing with this well, not they, this particular issue, because obviously she, uh, Barbie Kardashian is an outlier and a, a unique case, but just even in dealing with gender issues, they are uh, reassessing how they deal with that matter. And there is a possibility um, that a prisoner like Barbie Kardashian could end up in a male facility, but even still, she's a unique case. And I think she'll always be under a form of solitary confinement.
1: Yeah, I would agree. And that's even what people were saying about maybe within that new you prison the block wing there might be special thing and I think our thoughts are with the female prison officers who are allegedly oh, yeah. threatened it must be very very hard for them so our thoughts with them okay so you had a
0: story this week uh it, this this is uh the death of a lady in county sligo and this is a complicated case it was not as crystal clear as some of these things are at times but Tell us a bit about it. What do you understand so far? Yes,
1: and, and uh, you know, this is just perhaps an, an illustration of the sort of stuff that you and I do that behind the scenes because I, 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 so essentially a lady called Angela Canavan who was a native of a place called Kina just outside Cross Crossmalina in County Mayo um, moved to St John's Terrace in central Sligo five or six years ago and she'd been living there. And I, I got a wee sniff on Monday evening that... Uh, uh, it turned out to be her but a lady's body had been found in a house in in the St John's Terrace area but case like that you know it it seemed that it wasn't clear what happened and as often happens gardy will say we're investigating all the circumstances and the p.m. the postmortem and various other forensics and stuff will determine the course of the investigation so i know that you i i, I was off I think you were working on it on the Tuesday and your guidance was that it had been a fall. So there wasn't a real belief that it was anything suspicious. Yes,
0: well, 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 my guidance was that that was the way that it was headed. But obviously they have to look at the post-mortem and a couple of other factors and uh, assess. There was a question mark over it. There was. But... um, I think there was a feeling based off a number of other factors that it potentially was a fall, but uh, it, it it yeah.
1: No, but then, no, but this is yeah. then, no, this is just an indication of go we what we're guided with. R- do yeah. what we exactly, and we're not guards, and we're not in the conferences. So anyway, so the on the on Wednesday, yeah, on Wednesday, I I I was back at work, and I was just chatting with somebody, and I was saying. What's the story with with Sligo? Is you know I, I'm told it's 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 not suspicious. And they went, mm, wouldn't know about that. I, I might be in the other way. So I did a bit more digging, and essentially what has happened is she did suffer a fall, and she was found with head injuries, but got, and the, the post mortem was inconclusive. Now, what that means is, I, I'm not talking about this case, but you know there was no you know covert. One way or the other signs that it wasn't accidental or it was accidental. So it's inconclusive. It could have been this, it could have been that. But I think as, the, as yesterday went on, I think Gardy did become more of the view that it wasn't an accident and that she may have been assaulted. And, and God love the poor woman. She had a bit of a hard life. Just talking to people in the area, she had suffered uh, a brain injury maybe five years ago herself, so her life had been quite hard. The last couple of years, but look, it is one of those cases. It's 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 very much still up in the air, and the guards would still say they're investigating all the circumstances. But I think the pendulum has swung now to be it being suspicious. So we'll await we'll to see developments. On very that. good.
0: And you had a very good chat. Uh, on, this is one of these unexpected uh, mad stories uh, that, that you don't expect to happen. But it's an incredible story of someone, I suppose, turning their life around. So you did an interview with a man named Ian Maloney.
1: Yeah, and it's remarkable, you know, we've spoken about your your G-Sucks your, uh, you story, but these things just appear. And I was just, somebody communicated with me a couple of days beforehand and sent me a screen grab of a page from Ian Maloney. He's a, a man, and he admitted himself, he's, he's got more than about around 100 convictions, including one for an armed robbery in which 1.2 million euro was stolen. Now that was, I think it was 2008, and he, he got a, a good long stretch, 12 years, I think, for that. And we'd known him. He, his nickname was Mad Dog. Now, he's not very happy about that, but his nickname is Mad Dog Maloney. And a couple of months ago, there was a story that he'd written a poem in uh, in, in honour of uh, a cellmate. A cellmate of his died in the Midlands prison in 2015, a man called Eugene Cullen, who was serving, who was also, Ian Maloney's from Crumlin. Eugene Cullen was from Crumlin, serving life for a murder. And he died a suspected overdose, and Ian Maloney Fought for his fought to save him. He tried to save his life along with prison officers, but but he died. He was obviously <clears throat> very upset about that. But then, essentially, my source told me this guy has written a book of poems. So I chanced my arm. I contacted him and I said, "Look, and and I think this is really important for journalism. It's not you know, he's a convicted criminal, but that you know he's still a person. You know what I mean? So I contacted him and I chanced my arm and I said, "Look, would you be up for talking about this? And he was. And I he he gave me some really great comments. He said. I'm trying to put this life behind me. I know that you, he said, I know you've got a job to do. I know that you can say whatever, you know, say what you want about my criminal past and everything. I'm trying to put this behind me and I'm trying to get a new life and write poetry. And it was actually a really moving interview talking to him. And and I did have several conversations with him and I, and I tweeted afterwards, look, we can only take this man as it were, as at his word. Several yep. Gardaí were a bit sceptical about it. I, per- I but they did wish him all the best, and I personally wish him all the best. And I and I, I spoke to him after the story was it uh, w- w- was printed. I'd, I'd been speaking to somebody who said, "Yeah, look, you know he's got a hard road ahead of him." And I said, "Look, in somebody said this, and he said, yeah, but it's not going to stop me.' So look, he was he was as the cliché goes, extremely well known to Gardy. Hundred convictions around that, very very serious ones. His name was all over the place. We would have been would have been one of art people would be have an interest in but you know i like the cut of his jib. i have to say and i thought he was genuine so he's god i hope it works out for him
0: yeah isn't that great that somebody i suppose he can can turn their life around and maybe be an example to others and also just in terms of crime journalism you know there often the criticism is you only ever highlight the negative you know the bad things obviously crime is bad right but um Uh, It's great that you could write a story like that and someone can go on the record and tell a positive story of how they want to turn their lives around. It can be an example maybe to others that even if you have committed crimes, maybe even the worst crimes, um, that your life is not over and that you can turn it around. So um, taking him at his word, obviously, hopefully, uh, Mr Maloney is a is a is a credit to himself and to others and uh, an example to others. Sorry. Um, So, yeah, great story.
1: and, And I would One thing that I was happy about that he... I'm think i not breaking any confidence. I think he would be happy enough that the story was fair. We have to talk about his convictions. We can't not talk about his convictions, but we we gave him plenty of space in which he talked about his regrets. He talked about how he got into crime. I mean, mean, we agreed that he wouldn't talk about the person, we wouldn't name the person, but he did suffer a bereavement when he was in his mid-teens and it devastated him. And he was honest and he said, it turned him to a life of crime. He hadn't been involved in crime before that. So I thought it was very moving. And I was happy in that he accepted the story was fair. We weren't going to shaft him. And, you know, he has a, understandably, he has a, 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 a vision or a sort of a, a, a belief or a view of crime correspondence. That's no problem. But hopefully he can have learned something. And I certainly did. So I hope it works out for him.
0: Absolutely. Um, shall we leave it there? I think we've discussed a lot of topics. But,
1: yes, uh, that it, was a great there's, chat.
0: There's plenty more going on next week, no doubt. Just to flag that on Monday, uh, the Hutch trial uh, the Hutch trial may be over, but the trial of Jason Bonney and Paul Murphy is not. Uh, we will be hearing the the sentencing hearing for boatmen next Monday. Um, so I'm sure we'll cover that. i will definitely be sitting in on that and we'll see whether there's anything... That probably will be worth discussing in relation to that next week
1: okay thanks everybody
0: thank you